Good morning. My name is Eric Beadle, and uh, Lisa and I have had the pleasure of being here at Mansfield Bible for the last 15 years. And our passage today is out of Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he, and he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, and saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Thank you. You can go ahead and be seated. Give us just a moment. I'm thankful for Eric um, and, and Lisa. Uh, actually, they've been here, like he said, I guess 15 years. Ago. Yeah, and I think the whole time he's been working with the youth in some way or another. So if you, if you come up through our youth program or you're uh, in the youth program, you're going to know them for sure. So can I go ahead and get the, yeah, there you go. Like, I like to see everybody out there, and so I was wondering if there was anybody out there this morning. Take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14, our passage this morning, as we'll get started. This, is a, this has been a, a challenging uh, passage, uh, not because it's necessarily difficult to interpret, but because of the power of what's going on and taking place in this passage. And this morning... It is my prayer that, that the Spirit of God will move in your hearts this morning and just show us some of those things that our Savior went through as we kind of see the curtains drawn back and we see uh, kind of the sorrow and the anguish and some of the difficulties of what our Savior went through. And he went through it for us. Uh, that should move us to excitement. Uh, it should bring To bring a pause to remember, but a thankfulness and gratitude for what he has done. Um, so this morning as you walked in, you received these uh, post-it notes, so keep them handy. We'll talk a little bit more about them here in a minute. Today would be uh, Palm Sunday uh, in the scriptures. Today Jesus would be riding into Jerusalem and there's excitement, uh, people are grabbing palm leaves and they're, and they're joyously yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And I, could, I can imagine the disciples that have been following Jesus uh, and their excitement about Jesus riding in and maybe now is the time Jesus is going to set up his earthly kingdom. We're going to do away with Rome. We're going to, we're going to take all this away, and Jesus is going to rule, and, and all the excitement's going on. And the reality, in the next few days, in less than seven days, Jesus will be betrayed. 
the same people will yell, crucify him. And he will be crucified. He will die. And he will be placed in a tomb. In just a short period of time. I think of, of Peter on the night that we're looking at. To go from a place of, I will, I will go to prison for you. I will die for you. And before the sun rises, before the, croc, the, the rooster crows, he denies Jesus three times. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazing event in the life of the story as we learn to follow after Jesus is the realities of what took place. It's a holy week. It's a week of passion. And as we move through this week, one of the things I want to do is challenge you to look at your own life for this week. I want to challenge you to set aside some of those distractions and to focus on your intensity to know Christ. We don't do this for religion's sake. I don't, we don't do this for NBC. We do this because there should be an intensity on the part of God's people to know Jesus and to know him intimately and to know the power of his righteousness and the power of his work in our lives and our hearts that we live out Jesus. But we all get to those places where sometimes we need to have a, we need to have a focus. And I'm asking this week, that we make it a holy week, a, pa a week of passion for Jesus. You know, we have those times in the year where we have Valentine's Day and we have Mother's Day, we have a Father's Day, and we honor those people that are close to us. And I'm asking this week that we as a body of believers, that we take this time this week and we discipline ourselves as we, as we walk after Christ, that we would thirst for him and that we would do this maybe through prayer, through his word, through maybe fasting, putting away some things in order, to, in order to focus in on our devotion and our commitment to him. Maybe there's some things we need to confess, to repent. It's, it's setting ourselves over to him because we're his people. So that's why these post-it notes here, uh, maybe God will lay on as we go through this passage today where uh, something that in your life that you've been thinking about, maybe you just need to put on your no names. I don't want names. I don't, this is between you and God. Why posting those, Greg? Well, put it on there and we're gonna stick it on the wall maybe just to encourage others to take that step of faith as well. That we, that we would together as a body of believers, as we're learning to follow after Jesus, that we would have a greater intensity to know him, a greater desire a greater thirst to know the goodness of our God and the blessings that he's given us, to know his righteousness in our lives, to put away those things that distract us, those indulgence that we sometimes put into our life that rob us of the goodness of our God. And maybe we take a week this week that we as a body of believers learn to follow Jesus and increase our intensity for him this week. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. If it's only between you and God, that's fine. Do it. Grow in him. Grow in Jesus. Don't be satisfied 
just with a little bit. God has so much. It's, a, it's overflowing and it's abundant, the goodness of our God. I'm amazed every year that I live and walk with him, the blessings of knowing his peace and his joy and his comfort and his righteousness and the power of that in my life. It blows me away what God has done. And so I want to stimulate you to take that step, to grow as well, that we come together. And I think it fits with the passage we're looking at this morning. Um, I'll be honest with you on this passage. I uh, had to kind of get away for a few minutes and, and pray because it was really hard to go through this the first hour. Emotionally for me, the, as, I, as I prepared th this week or a couple of weeks actually, but this week especially, the last couple of days, the, the weight of what our Savior endured. This is not one of those passages we're going to run out of here today and, and we're going to be, you know, singing hallelujah. Well, we could because of what he's accomplished. But we do need to peel back the curtain and remind ourselves the cost and the weight, the magnitude of his grief, his sorrow, his anguish. In verses 32 and through 34, the passage we already read, we see the sorrow of Jesus. It's more than what I can imagine. We see his anguish, we see his pain. In the context of this, of this passage, it's close to midnight on Thursday night of Passion Week. In just a few hours, Jesus is gonna be betrayed and he's gonna to go to the cross. The crucifixion is at hand. He's already left the upper room. He's instilled the, the Lord's Supper. He predicts that all of his disciples will, will flee from him, of which all of his disciples deny, especially Peter. Peter's like, it will never happen. It will never happen. I will go to prison for you. I will die for you. And Jesus says, as you know, that before the rooster crows two times, you will have divined me three. We see Jesus in the 12 headed to Gethsemane. It literally means press of oils or a press for crushing oil out of olives. I think it's a, it's a beautiful reference into the moment of what Jesus is about to find right in the middle of this, this garden. It was a garden-like enclosure in an olive orchard at the bottom of Mount of Olives. It was a place that they frequent often to get away from others and, and to pray, so much so that Judas knew to come here to find Jesus because it was a favorite spot for them to go and to pray and to be alone. And then here, Jesus turns and begins to contemplate what is about to happen. I am not gonna apologize for the emotion this morning. I pray that you feel the magnitude of what Jesus is about to go through. 
And while we will speak of the victory, it's a staggering moment as the perfect son of God is about to become the sin bearer of humanity. It is here that the agony of Jesus is so severe that Jesus himself says in verse 34, even to death. Jesus coming to the garden, he tells eight of the disciples to wait, to wait here. He takes Peter, James, and John, and they gain a glimpse of the sorrow and the agony that Jesus would endure. It tells us in verse 32 and 33, he says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. The word there for greatly distressed has the idea of amazement, shock, astonishment. The RSV uses these words. It says, horror and dismay came over him. Think about that for a moment. Jesus' understanding about, about what he's about to face, horror and astonishment when dismay and shock overwhelm him. It's at this moment we see Jesus looking and seeing what is waiting for him and it fills him with anguish, with horror. The weight and the magnitude of this anguish and the suffering that Jesus would endure even to the point of death. Jesus is so engulfed with grief, so completely overcome with sorrow. He is drowning in agony and Jesus uses those words even to death. In Luke's account, he tells us that sweats like great drops of blood falling to the ground. We know, just looking it up, we know this occurs when suffering is so extreme in its levels of stress. It's the idea where, where it's a picture of multiple blood vessels in a net-like form or around the sweat glands, and they begin to constrict under the pressure of tremendous stress. It tells us, Luke also tells us that an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Imagine the agony. Imagine the stress. Imagine how extreme it was that Jesus was facing. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me to talk to a group of people. I asked the question, even though I know the answer, I asked the question, why such anguish? Why such stress? Why such horror? The answer is that a perfect, the perfect, holy son of God was about to become sin. What's it tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21? What does it say? 
He who knew no sin became sin. Yes, you're right. That we might be made in the righteousness of God. That our Savior willingly surrendered himself in this moment, in this time, and as he's looking at it, as he's really realizing what is about to come and it's here, he begins to feel the agony and the press. He is staring at the righteous judgment of God for the iniquity of humanity. We don't like to talk about sin, especially in our culture, but dear people of God, we need to, or else we weaken this moment. This, week, this moment wouldn't mean anything if there was no sin, if there was no iniquity. But because of iniquity, because of our iniquity and our sins, it separated us from God. And now they're about to be placed on the perfect, holy one of God, who has only known perfection, who has only known harmony without sin, who's only known righteousness, who's never experienced iniquity, and he's about to be poured, sin's about to be poured out on him. It was this that brought great stress. Isaiah 53, verses three and four. It tells us there in Isaiah 53, verses three and four, it says, he was despised and rejected by men. Listen to it. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The one from everlasting to everlasting who, who was righteous and holy is now facing sorrow and grief. And it goes on and says, as one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we esteemed him as not, not as important. Listen to what he says. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Listen to what it said. He has bore our griefs and sorrows and carried our sorrows. He, he became a man who's acquitted, acquainted with grief and sorrow because he bore our sins and iniquities. Thank you, Jesus. The weight of it brought anguish and sorrow and pain and as the curtain is pulled back, let me ask you a question. Do you think God takes our sins seriously? Do you see the weight of it as it presses on Jesus? In a day and a time when, when we're, we're calling things that are wrong right and things that are right wrong and, and we're, we're, we're belittling truth, we're belittling righteousness, we're belittling, belittling holiness, and we think, why does God have a problem with that? Because we're running in our own ways, in our own direction, and we're ignoring him. And yet, at the same time, Jesus was bearing our iniquities, whether we understood the full weight and pressure of them. 
Whether we understand the devastating nature of iniquity in our lives or not, Jesus still bore those iniquities. Praise God. Dear people of God, it was, it was our sins that was the source of his sin, of his, his stress. It was our iniquities. The Holy One, the righteous one of God, who is without blemish, who is perfect in all things. The source of his sorrow is taking our sin, my sin, your sin, our pride, our greed, our, our lust, our jealousy, our idolatry, our unforgiveness, our bitterness, our sexual immorality, all of those things, he took them. And those are what is bringing the grief as he realizes as he's facing the cross and the iniquities and sins of humanity are poured on him and he becomes the sin bearer for humanity. Brought great sorrow and iniquity. Our iniquities brought great sorrow. Verse 34, he also says, after he says to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He says, remain here and watch. He's asking them to be alert, to be spiritually alert. He's about to endure once and for all the iniquity of humanity and bring about righteousness to bring salvation to those who would believe. He's about to face that hour. It's right here. It's right in front of them. And he's asking the disciples to pray, specifically Peter, John, and James. Pray, watch, and pray. He's warning against indifference. Don't be indifferent in this hour. Refuse to be apathetic. Be alert. We are all tempted to be indifferent, aren't we, about the things of Christ? I was even thinking, even as I was studying this week, and even right now in this message, we are tempted to feel nothing. We're tempted just to think, well, we just heard another message about Jesus, about the crucifixion, or about, about sin. Oh, well. We're tempted to go out the doors and go to our lunches and go through our day without being changed. Why? Why do we do that? Because sin hardens our hearts. My sin hardens my heart. It makes us indifferent to the things of God. Our entertainment numbs our hearts. Our distractions blind our minds. Our wealth weakens our trust and love for God. But today we consider the sorrow of Jesus and the weight of his glory as agony and we be moved by his, by his sacrifice, that we would be moved with gratitude, with love for him. Dear people of God, thank him. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Love him. Love him more than the things of the world. Love him more than those things that seem to pull our eyes away and our hearts away. Love him more. Thank him. Do you agree? I know it's heavy. But do you agree? Do you agree? Thank him. 
Thank you. In verses 35 and 36, we see the desperation of Christ. And he says in verse 35 and going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He go, tells us in 35, he goes a little bit further. In, in Luke's gospel, it says a stone's throw. As far as you can throw a stone. Just far, far enough away that he's on his own, but close enough that you could still see him. And you could probably hear him to some extent. You could probably hear the agony. You could probably hear the, the, the prayer and the, maybe not the words, but you could hear the, the, the urgency as the son prays to the father. It tells us that he fell on the ground and prayed. Matthew tells us that he fell on his face and prayed. Luke said he knelt down and prayed. And so I was thinking as, as they're watching this, as he, as he goes off about a stone throw and as you start putting them together, that he went off by himself and he knelt down. And in his distress and in his anguish, he fell down and we find him prostrate entirely face down because of his indicating his urgency and desperation before the Father. It tells us that we know of Jewish men of that day, they often, when they prayed, they prayed with their hands in the air. And when you found a Jewish man of that day praying prostate, face down, it was, a, it was an indication of the urgency and the desperation of the prayer. Do you feel it? Do you feel the urgency? Do you feel the anguish? I pray that you go through this passage and you don't go through it as just reading another great story. Oh, I know, I know the resurrection's coming and next week we're gonna celebrate he is alive and we'll celebrate that. But let us not run past these moments. Let them set on our heart. Notice his honest transparency. He prays in verse 35, that this hour would pass. He prays that the cup would be removed in verse 36. In the agony of his prayers, you can see his, his cries and his tears. It tells us in Hebrews chapter five and verse seven, it says there in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Loud cries and tears. Dear people of God, stay in the text. Stay right here. Stay in the garden. Move a little bit closer. Do you hear the cries of your Savior? You see the tears streaming down from his face of the anguish that is about to come. You see, now's not the time for us to be indifferent. We need to refuse to be indifferent. We need to move closer to the garden. We need to move closer to gratitude and understanding what Christ had done for us. Verse 36, the first few words just really caught my heart this week. It says in verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father. The word is literally the idea, it's so personal, it's like daddy. It's a personal reference, 
a personal plea of the son to his father. I, I thought about this passage several times, thinking of times when my own children, my own sons would come to me with a plea, how do you turn it away? Your heart's so moved. And I can't imagine the eternal intimacy that existed between the father and the son, but now they're just a few hours away from a devastating moment where sin will be poured out on the son as, a, as he experiences the judgment of the father. And he does this for us, for us. Don't move past that lightly. Jesus prays the hour and that cup would be removed. We're prass. Don't be bothered by that. This isn't a sign of weakness of Jesus here. It's his humanity. It's his humanity. He's, a, he's fully God, fully man. He says in John, he tells us in John chapter 18, verse 7, it says, he says that when they were coming to get him, and, it, and it's referring to them coming to take him, that they come and they ask him, they say, where is Jesus of Nazareth? And you know what Jesus says? I am he. But you know what happens next? They fall back because of who he is. Before Pontius Pilate, Jesus tells Pontius Pilate when, when Pontius Pilate says to him, do you not know the authority I have to have you crucified? Do you not know? And Jesus says, no authority been given to you unless it's been given from above. They didn't take Jesus' life. He willingly gave it. It blows me away that he went through this by choice. Moved by love and, and grace and mercy. In a few minutes that night, Peter would pick up a sword and cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. And Jesus would pick it up and fully restore it. He's fully God, fully man. He could have called, he could have called 10,000 angels. And he gave his life. We see his humanity as he faces the stress and the pressure and the agony, agony of what he's about to go through. That cup of sorrow, is, it's a cup of sin. It's a cup of all humanity, all human hate, pride, greed, lies. Sexual immorality, murder, envy, bitterness, throw it all at, just watch the news. In one day, how much iniquity comes across? How much? In one day, and he took it for all time. Every last drop. Your sin, my sin. You think your sin's too great? He took that too. <laughs> Praise God. I so many times wonder how God could even be pleased to use me. If you know me, you know <laughs> I got some faults. And by God's grace, right? By his mercy and his grace. He took it. You know those dark places in your life that you hide? That sin, that iniquity that you just don't want anyone else to know? In the very dark places, he took that too. He took it too. Praise God. 
Thank you, Jesus. Love him, your people. Love him. Thank him. It was also a cup of wrath. I know, we're supposed to have positive messages today, right? And the reason we don't see the power of the resurrection and the reason we don't see the power of the righteousness of God in our lives, the reason we're so distracted by the world is because we miss out on what Christ has done. And we don't understand the power of what he has done. We want to be little wrath. We want to be little sin. We want to make it down to like, oh, it's not really nothing, but it was everything. That God loved you enough and he loved me enough that when Jesus was faced in the moment of anguish, in the moment of pain, it did not deter him from the cross. It is his death and his burial and his resurrection that gives us life. It's his righteousness that restores me to a relationship with my God. The same God who would refuse to accept iniquity and thank God he did that we might understand the blessedness of righteousness and the blessedness of eternity in his holiness and in his grace and in his mercy, that we wouldn't squander around in iniquity and sin, but that we would learn to live above it in his son, Jesus Christ. Praise God he did not take it lightly. And dear people of God, we need to understand that. I've been moved this week, guys. I'm sorry. It was a cup of wrath, too. In the Old Testament, it talks of God's judgment against iniquity, his judgment against sin. Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 25, I'm sorry, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 25, Ezekiel 29, Jeremiah 49, Lamentations 4, Habakkuk 2, Zechariah 12. It's through the Old Testament. It's in the New as well that judgment would take place when we saw him on the cross. He had dealt with it as the sin bearer of humanity. This is him becoming the object of the Father's judgment against sin and becoming sin that for us that we might receive the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Isaiah 53, verses five and six shows this as well. It says in Isaiah 53, verses five and six, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. Just let that sink in. Pierced for our transgressions, Crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. Upon him was the judgment. Upon him was our iniquities, our transgressions that he took upon them. Why? Because it brought peace. It brought peace to us. And with his wounds, we are healed. We are restored. We're made new in Christ. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. If there is a phrase that I think Man, if I, well, the Lord has his own ways of doing things, but, you know, just post it everywhere. In a day when we're running about, and I think of Jesus looking out over Jerusalem, and the, and the people are running, and he just wants to bring them in. He wants to bring them in. Jesus wants to bring us in. He's calling us through, through the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. 
We have gone our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thank you, Father. Thank you. God, I just pray your spirit just speaks to us now. Speak to us. Notice here, notice the quiet in, in our chapter. It stood out to me. There was no response, no response from the Father. I asked myself why. Because I don't think there was any other way. The son had to die. Jesus speaking to Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 7. He tells Pilate, for this purpose I was born and came into the world. He came with the intent. He had to die for you and he had to die for me. What amazing love, amazing grace. What mercy can we describe? The depths of the Father's love, beyond, beyond measure, beyond what we could ever somehow speak into words, that he would give his only son and make treasures out of us. Many of you know, I've never known my birth father. I was adopted by a man, and I guess legally they call him my stepdad, but I always called him dad. He gave me his name. He made me his own. He wasn't perfect by any means. But when I think of the scriptures that God took us, and that when we receive Christ into our life, he brings us into his family and he calls us his own. We become co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. Co-heirs with the Son of God. We're brought into the family of God. We're so worried about everything around here, we lose sight of the blessings that God has given us. In verse 36, Jesus praying, he says, not what I will, but what you will. It's in the I and the you is emphatics. It's literally not what I will, but what you will. It's not, it's not about me, it's about you. As he submits himself to the will of God because he sees and he's moved by love for us. It's the greatest expression of God's love, seeing, seeing the son yielding to the will of the father. Collectively, as we are a people learning to follow Jesus together, Let's allow not my will, but your will in our lives this week. I want to challenge you to that. You know, in verses 37 to 30 to 42, the rest of this chapter, Jesus is calling the disciples to watch and pray, to not be indifferent, to be spiritually alert, to not be, to not be apathetic, but to be on guard. In the moment when Jesus is experiencing anguish and, and grief, what is he doing? He's praying. How do we do any less? How do we do any less? This week, let us be spiritually alert. Let's set ourselves apart unto him. Let us, let us pursue him and thirst for him a little more than last week. Maybe commit to 
to prayer. Plan a time to pray. And if you're already doing that, great, double down. <laughs> pray a little bit more. Pursue him a little bit more. Read a book of the Bible. Let God's word just, just, I like how <laughs> you're going to laugh and I, but percolate, right? I mean, just let it take place in your life. Let it speak. Let it sit there. Let it, let it work in your life. Let the spirit of God move. Maybe you need to fast. Give up something that you indulge in. Something that might distract you and turn it into worship. Turn it into devotion to your Christ, to our Lord. Maybe there's something you need to confess and repent from. Maybe there's bitterness and you need to restore a relationship. Maybe God's been speaking to you for some time about one of those little dark areas that we like to push away in our lives. It's time to pull it out and let him begin to work on it. Yes, it will be painful. Yes, it creates, it is discipline. Yes, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Yes, I know that. But let us, let us thirst for him a little more. Let us pursue him even more. Let us move away from, from unforgiveness. Let us move away from bitterness. Let us move away from the things of this world that distract us and pursue Christ. That's why I put these post-it notes. Don't need a name. Maybe this week, you've, as we spoke today, God was beginning to touch some area. Maybe you want to Give up a lunch and pray during that time. Write that on there. Don't put your name. Please don't put your name. You can go out through the wall. There's a wall there with a few post-it notes on it already. Put it up there. Why am I doing that? I just want to encourage one another that we as a body, as we're learning to follow Jesus, that there's others making a commitment to do these things. No other reason. It's not about religion. I really don't care. It's not about... It's between you and your God. And if you don't want to do it, don't do it. I don't care. But I want to encourage us and encourage one another. And that's why we're doing it. If you're a processor and you're like, after I leave, you might think on it. Well, you can go to our website. I guess there's a link as well. Or you, a text. Do we have a text that we can put up there? Maybe. Is there a text? You can text a number in. If not, we'll be in our weekly, okay? Teresa. Yeah, there we go. You can text prayers or whatever. You can text it there. It's anonymous. We won't know who it is and someone will write it and stick it on the wall. It's just our passion for Christ this week. The point of it is that we want to invest in our relationship with God and encourage one another. Dear people of God, I know, I know this is heavy today. When I left the first hour, I didn't think I could do the second hour. <laughs> Um, but we need to understand the great cost that brought us freedom. We need to understand that our God hasn't changed his view on iniquity and sin. We need to understand there is judgment. We need to understand that Christ has set us free and given us 
everything we need for life and godliness. We need to pursue. Let's pray. Father, um, how do we, as your people, how do we, Father, ever understand the full strength of your power when we're deceived by the world? How do we understand, Father, the the righteousness that is ours in Christ, the, the power of truth in our lives. How do we understand that, Father, if it isn't by your spirit, if it isn't by the truth that we focus on who you are? God, in a week of passion, in a week that we're looking off to the celebration of the resurrection, and Lord, it's just, just seven days away. But Lord, that, that, that week for Christ, that passion week, Wow, so much happened. It's so much fun to celebrate the victories, Father, but let us not forget, let us not forget what it cost. Lord, I'm sorry for my own iniquities, my own shortcomings. Lord, forgive us as a church. We thank you for what we have in Christ. May your spirit move among us. Purify us as a people. That we would be set apart under Christ. Let us not be indifferent. Let us not be apathetic, Father. Forgive us when we have. Let us thirst each and every day. Let us look for the rising of the sun and the setting thereof, knowing it's another day to praise the name of our Lord. It's another day to be moved, to have an opportunity to see you work in our lives, that we might glorify your name, that we might lift up your name, that we might bow our knee and recognize that you and you alone are the true God. Father, we're your people. Do with us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.